I had to peel back all of that and rinse all of that out. And it took many years to, to do that. And it was, uh, it was a very painful process. And then uh, <laughs> I realized I could have done it completely different uh, years later, and I would have had the same outcome, but with less pain. But I'm glad I went through the, the painful process because I wouldn't have the awareness that I have now. This is the Limitless Athlete Podcast. I'm Tom Foxley, founder of Mindset RX and your host. And I believe that the greatest athletes are great because they are able to drop the construct of their identity as soon as it stops serving them. I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm willing to work as hard as I can. There is no past, there's no future, there's just this moment right here. If I did that, if I can get through that, like, come at me. Changing how I saw myself, like, as a man, not just as, as an athlete. It's okay that I struggled. It's okay, that's part of the deal. It's how I responded. Today, on the Limitless Athlete Podcast, I'm interviewing the incredibly articulate, aware, and intentional Carl Powley. Carl has been formative in my development both athletically and emotionally. His book, Freestyle, was instrumental in connecting me to an athlete's inner world. This interview will take you along Carl's journey from high-level gymnast to world-class coach. Throughout, what Carl is able to do is learn when the identity he had constructed stopped him from growing. We all construct identity. Your identity is a collection of beliefs and the resulting thoughts, emotions, and behaviors. And you create this identity in order to make sense of the world and achieve what you define as success. The identity helps by essentially reducing the amount of options available to you. If your identity is rooted in the belief, I am an elite athlete, then your actions and inevitably your results will line up with what you desire. Often though, you will either outgrow your identity or it will stop being a truthful representation of you and your environment. In this conversation, Carl goes into how he let go of that identity to serve him better. Athletes must do this too. You must do this too in order to grow. Carl and I also discuss why great performances aren't forced, creating distance from your thoughts and emotions, visualization and effective habits, how to use creativity as an athlete, leaning into authenticity and the power of vulnerability. Alongside this episode, we'll also be releasing a partner episode, The Debrief, where Mindset RX head coach Rachel and myself will help you apply the lessons within this podcast to your training and wider life. We'll also be pulling out the key ideas you may have missed and discussing how you can use this conversation and the wisdom within it to change your mindset and become a limitless athlete. Now, back to the show with Carl Powley. Let's start with this. What, what impresses me, and I, in doing my research, I was able to delve deep in, into your world again and get to listen to your voice plenty. Um, and what always impresses me is this kind of awareness that you have. You have a very deep and open awareness of a lot of situations. And part of that, like a large part of that, is your intentionality with language, I think, or it, it, it creates it. Um, 
in light of that, can you tell me how many languages you speak? Yeah, I speak technically three languages. So it's Spanish, English, and Swedish. Although I grew up in Spain and uh, specifically in, in the region of Valencia. So uh, I would hear, hear Valencian uh, on TV and at school and uh, also Catalan because that's what was uh, on TV when, when I was watching cartoons. So that's always been there. And then my, my, my dad speaks uh, French and German. So uh, hearing French and German also influenced uh, my relationship to languages. What's it like growing up as a kid in a multilingual family? Well, when you're a kid in that situation, it's normal. But uh, as I've grown older, I realize how much color comes from that. And one of those uh, aspects of growing up in a, in a multi-language uh, household is is that when you hear the language that your parents speak outside of your home, immediately you feel like you're home. So if I'm here in the U.S. and I hear somebody speaking Swedish, immediately I feel like I'm brought home to when I was a kid and uh, living with my parents. If I am in Spain and I hear somebody speaking English, specifically with the, an American accent, I I immediately feel like, oh yeah, that's that's also home, but it's in a different place, and uh, it can transport you. And it's very powerful to uh, to have access to that just through language. Are there any real positives that come from? Like, can you describe situations differently? Can you find different meanings or um, see things differently through different lenses of language? 100 uh, percent each language has a different way of um adding a little texture to that which you're describing so for example in our household i speak swedish with my parents i speak spanish with my brothers and i speak english with my older sister okay. and when we're all together although we speak Swedish, we mix English, Spanish, and Swedish together so that we can uh, be more precise in the way that we're sharing. Sometimes it's a, it's a question of, of having access to words uh, quickly, but another time, on, on other occasions, what it is, it's, um, it's being able to uh, describe something in a way that only that specific language can. And uh, I think this is something that applies to everything, uh, not only the, the code that we use to express ourselves, but also uh, the way that we present ourselves in the world. There are so many ways of doing that. So our, our bodies are a language, our way of thinking is a language, uh, our relationships and the way that those relationships are unfold are a language. And when you start to see the, the richness that exists there, um, you start to see the world a little bit different. You start to experience the world a little different. I, I heard this quite a while ago that to possess, uh, to, to speak another language is to possess another soul. And I think it gives you a different perspective on, on the world. Like I am incredibly um, inefficient with my French, but like just living out in France for a while, it just gave me that extra little bit of like, oh, I can, I can see this slightly differently now. Did it ever cause trouble for you speaking different languages? Yeah, I think it did. I've always felt like I was incomplete in my ability to express myself. Either I was missing words or I didn't know all the words. Um, 
so it's it's felt limited. But as I've grown older, I've realized that that limitation is simply uh, my understanding of language spread amongst the different ones that I know. Something you said earlier was about this precision that different languages give you. Why is it? Well, why do you feel it's so important for you to be precise with your words? Because every moment is very unique. And uniqueness requires you to connect in a very unique way. And when you are connecting with something and uh, engaging with it, communicating with it, it's important that you are as unique in your communication and your expression as the moment is. And when you can do that, what ends up happening is that you are uh, fully engaged in that moment you are fully connected to that moment. There is no past, there's no future, there's just this moment right here. And this is what in performance expresses itself as a, a flow state or uh, this sense of being able to do anything. Uh, it feels like effortless, effortless. Yeah, lovely, lovely. Um, one of the, again, like digging into this awareness and going down the the lane of language and, and utilizing words properly that you've spoken before about journaling and bringing about a journaling practice. I think when you're pretty young, like why did, why did you start this? Well, we had a sports psychologist that supported us and uh, they would encourage to keep a journal at least of our practices and specifically to start to add some color to it, uh, sharing uh, what the experience felt like, uh, uh, what you could have done better, uh, what went well, uh, what you're excited about, just trying to add a little color, some emotional language to the prescription that you're following. And uh, I was too lazy to, to keep a journal. I thought I was already doing enough work. I was like, why, why do I have to go over this again? Uh, and uh, that's something that I, I kind of dismissed when I was in gymnastics, but um, was always there. Uh, when, I, when I was studying uh, in school, I realized that I always kept notes on the side. And it was the notes that allowed me to process. I also realized that my, my mother, uh, every morning when I would wake up, would sit in the kitchen and she was writing in a little notebook. Sometimes it was recipes. Sometimes it was a to-do list. Sometimes it was just thoughts. And um, it started to dawn on me uh, later in life, especially when I got married, where I started to live with Tanya. And uh, I, I uh, was, was getting in trouble for uh, having all these notes everywhere, just loose pieces of paper where I was uh, writing stuff down or in, in, the, in the shower as I was taking a shower on the glass window, I would write things uh, as they were coming up for me. And what, what journaling really was right there was bringing out ideas that were coming up visually, images, uh, a vision, and trying to translate that into uh, a code that uh, I could remember and I could also translate and uh, bring to whatever it is that I was creating. And not to mention the time where you and I were working together, you were encouraging me heavily to uh, have a journaling practice. So it's always been there. It's something that has always um come back to uh, be a part of the foundation of what I could call uh, a practice of awareness and um, communication. Yeah. yeah. Well, do you remember your, um, 
sports psychologist's name when you're when you're doing gymnastics? Do you remember what no. it's like to work under? Like, I guess you're pretty young. I can't, I can't remember her name, but I was, I was talking about her just two days ago. Uh, we currently have a roommate and he happens to be an Olympic gymnast. And I was, I was, tell, I was telling him about my experience with uh, my sports psychologist and how terrible I was as a, as a client, <laughs> but I, I can't remember her name. What do you think your sports psych was trying to get from you? What do you think she was trying to encourage? I think what she was trying to encourage was practice that extended beyond the gym, mm-hmm. meaning that it wasn't just about learning the skills. It wasn't about uh, going through the progression to win a competition, but realizing that everything that we were working on there uh, could be uh, further enhanced outside just by becoming aware of how we were engaging in our practice. and. I also think one of the things that um, she was really working on with us was uh, getting us where we wanted to go faster, uh, more effectively, and um, emotionally um, whole. What have you found salient in your journaling? Like, is there anything you watch out for? Obviously, you're, you're fairly adept to it. You've worked it for quite a long time. You've developed some proficiency in it. So like, is there anything that you find useful to watch out for? Um. Well, one thing that I, I do uh, really watch out for is trying to control what I'm writing. Okay, tell me more. Yeah. So, for example, if I, let's say I have a plan that I want to execute on and uh, I'm ready to uh, move forward with it, it's easy for me to turn my journaling into a planning to plan uh, session. And in, 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 uh, trying to plan to plan, meaning getting caught in that which you're executing on, uh, the creative juices stop flowing. So what I allow myself to do uh, every single time is is to just al- express myself, whether, whether it's uh, drawing something or uh, writing a few words that are, are coming up, or maybe I read something and I've, I felt inspired by it, or... Um, I'm, I'm maybe journaling about something that has nothing to do with uh, what is on my mind. Um, it, it can even be uh, remembering a dream. Cool. You are, I, I would say, very high in trait openness, like creativity dimension of the big five personality. I think you, like, from knowing you as much as I know you and also seeing what you create, like, you're an entrepreneur you're an athlete, you're a coach, like you connect with people, you understand this openness. Part of that is being able to, part of the gift of that is that you get free ideas almost compared to everyone else. Like you can generate more, you create more. Part of the the kind of the double-edged sword there is that you, it's occasionally difficult to channel those ideas. How do you, I'm, I'm assuming there's other things aside from journaling as well, but how do you use journaling to channel those ideas to find, to sort the wheat from the chaff? I'll tell you right now. Here we go. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> so uh, I don't know if you can see, yeah, but magic. I, <laughs> okay. So I have, I have, this is something that I, I, I journaled about uh, yesterday, but basically I allow my, um, whatever visions come up, whatever I'm creatively inclined to want to express in this moment. 
And and then I I I think about it as an ecosystem. And I think about where does this idea that seems to not have anything to do with my goal, where would it fit in? How would it support? How would it assist? And then I start to draw uh, lines and I, and I start to think about where does the uh, flux of resources go and come from? And can this be included in some way, whether it's a principle, a value, or potentially uh, a functional asset? And this is where funneling comes into play. How can you funnel the creativity towards moving yourself closer to the goal? And uh, a lot of times where I start to anchor is in purpose. And I start to think, okay, what is my overarching purpose within my current performance, within my current practice? What is the purpose in relationship to what is coming up creatively? Is there a link? If there is a link, bring it in. If there is no uh, space for it to fit in, then it will have to wait until there is enough space, until there is more bandwidth. But at least it's there. And once it's recorded, you can always remember it. Nice. This is going to be so helpful to people to listen to as well, because what you've essentially got through your purpose is a clear vision of success for you in terms of the way to act in every single moment. And that is almost acting like a filter of available options. It's like, we can't with loads of ideas, probably 90% of them are crap. So being able to filter them to like down to that 10% is, is really, really cool. I love that you're mm-hmm. doing that. What, what challenges are you facing when you, um, when you come around to journal? Do you often forget to do it? Do you find a resistance to it? Do you have times when you don't feel like it? Do you have times where you don't see the benefit in it? It's such a habit that it, it happens every day in some form. Uh, but challenges that I, I, I face are uh, more so staying on track. It's my creative mind says, hey, why don't you just look at this other thing? It's way more interesting right now. And, and the challenge is always to come back to uh, the, the focus of the month or the focus of the quarter or the focus of the year. And if I, if I can con- continue to anchor, I know that my journaling practice is uh, producing results. So that's, that's the challenge is to remember uh, what, I, what I originally set out to do. Okay. So again, it's that kind of channeling that creativity, channeling the um, potentially disruptive nature of creativity and mm-hmm. make sure it's focused in one pursuit because one one thing that people often say is like okay i'm creative so i can't be disciplined or they it's a it's a belief that comes out like that um but you're proving that you can be both you can Mm -hmm. be like focused intentional deliberate with your actions and also generate ideas and be free that's awesome um was there a time well actually you've said there was already when journaling wasn't something that you enjoyed or it wasn't something that you utilized when and if so when did that become something that became habitual became something you relied upon well in thinking about it right now i think when i started traveling for work what was that 13 14 years ago um, that's when it became a habit and it started happening while I was having breakfast before, uh, teaching a seminar. 
And the reason was <laughs> because I would attend a lot of these uh, seminars as, as the teacher <laughs> and I wasn't very prepared. So I was, um, I was uh, coming up with the ideas on the spot uh, hours before the start. And that was happening during breakfast. And I caught myself in the habit of every time I sat down to have a little coffee in the morning or to eat something that I, I, I would feel very confident when I put pen to paper. And because I'm a very visual person, I could create these uh, beautiful trees with ideas that I could um, get a picture of imprinted in my brain that later on when I had to speak about it, I could pull and uh, pull from and navigate uh, and, and connect dots, uh, not only for myself, but for the people that I was working with on that day. Cool. That's really nice. Um, what was the, you know, what was the biggest challenge you faced then in, in terms of making your journaling useful? I mean, it was very useful. I just didn't know it was useful. I wasn't aware of how useful it was. So it, 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 it was one of those things that I only understood in retrospect. I thought I was doing it because I was, I was uh, panicking and I had to come up with an idea to share. But in reality, what I was doing was uh, translating that which already lived in me in a way that became clear and was on paper and recorded that you could look at, you could uh, go back and it, it remained the same. It was constant. It served as a foundation. And it was, um, it was that which was immovable within my own movement. Uh, so to speak, very meta, but uh, that's what it was. It, it just gave me the, the anchor, the foundation, the contrast. Um, but I didn't know that that's what I was doing. It's often that you start journaling practice and you don't see the utility in it, um, especially when it's something that is new to you. Because like not everyone has obviously started, had the environment around them, which it facilitates journaling, which facilitates writing down ideas or even expressing emotion. So sometimes we learn to filter it apart. Um, and obviously you've learned to see it and also, again, like identify what's important and let the rest slide. Part of what is important, I think, is the emotions and well, the mental emotional state, our subjective experience. How do you stay aware of your mental emotional state on a daily basis and what you can look for well it's it's very prevalent in me i'm i'm a very emotional guy <laughs> so i'm always like oh i'm feeling this and i need to tell you right now so for me for me that's not a problem uh it's always present but what i do do with my emotions especially in in my journaling practice is um i try to place myself and I say, okay, how, how activated do I feel right now? Do I feel very activated or do I feel kind of low energy? How uh, pleasant does this feel right now? And this is kind of based on uh, the valence arousal model uh, where you can, you can place yourself uh, within in these, these uh, high, high arousal states or low arousal states, uh, high pleasant uh, states or, or low uh, pleasant states. And simply by placing myself on a map, which is completely arbitrary because emotions are so much more complex and multi-layered, that once again gives me an anchor. And, and I think it comes down to choice. You choose, how do I 
think I'm feeling right now. And then when you start to process how you're th- feeling in that moment, you realize that you feel different. And then uh, you start to wonder, wait, was I feeling a certain way when I told myself how I was feeling? Or um, uh, was I actually feeling how I feel now that I processed the original thought of feeling? And, and this, is, this is something that is very confusing for people. But when you get used to it, you realize that, oh, whatever I'm feeling right now is simply in passing. What is it trying to show me? What is it telling me? And how can I um, work with this to move in the direction that I want to move? And this is uh, exciting, if you ask me. That there is gold. You're, you're noticing the transitory nature of emotion and also your standing point which is backward from emotion because you, like so many people are getting so wrapped up in i am my emotion i am angry i am sad i am stressed as opposed mm-hmm. to i feel and like identifying the i in that and coming back and seeing it that's going to be useful for so many athletes especially i am exhausted i am struggling with this <laughs> like that kind of thing mm-hmm. yeah and coaches too um a big part of awareness and something that us, us us always uses the analogy of, if you remember back to talking about free nature and bound nature with me, the, the struggle or the, the challenge with, with free nature and that, that place of flow and that place of creativity is once you find it staying there. And I feel like there's a very strong analogy or metaphor with a handstand or any active balance. And also your, background as a gymnast you are taught to i suppose i'm rubbish at handstand so that's just let's get that in there. Um, the you're taught to become deeply aware of where you are right now and i suppose the difference between a great a, an average handstand like mine and a good handstand like yours is that ability to perceive the difference in Okay, am I shifting to my heels, then my hands to my tips, my fingers left, the right, that kind of stuff. What's it like to hold, even though I've just kind of traipsed all over this great question, and what's it like <laughs> to hold a great hand sound? What's like from your point of view, what's that feel like? Well, I don't know because I'm still in the pursuit. So I, I, I couldn't tell you, but I can tell you that the pursuit or the uh, practice of it feels I'm pausing here because I'm, I'm trying to really um, think about what it feels like. Yeah, it feels like you belong. Like this is supposed to be like this. And um, from the outside, maybe somebody looking, looking in is thinking, oh, wow, that's pretty impressive that you can hold that position that seems so uncommon. But when you're actually doing it, it feels really normal, very common. And you realize that this, this notion of what is common or uncommon is simply that. It's simply a perception. And when you realize that uh, something like holding a handstand, which may seem uncommon, is common for you, the sense of belonging, like it's right, like you, you're supposed to be here doing this, uh, is really empowering. And that empowering, although subtle in nature when it translates uh, is very powerful uh, as it it's, it's serves as this um, undercurrent that supports anything that you want to do. 
In other words, if um, if I have to be um, mentally focused on a task outside of my handstand practice, knowing that I can do it in one area of my life allows me to do it in another. You tell me more about yeah, for example, I mean, I one of the things that I don't like to do is I don't like to um, uh, go through my uh, financial books. I, I, I get I get uh, nervous looking at all the items. Mm-hmm. But I know that I have the capacity to focus in doing a handstand. So why can't I focus on these items the same way? And when I put myself in that state, all of a sudden I'm like, oh, this is actually kind of enjoyable and I'm kind of good at it. And that is very empowering because what it really is doing is it's producing transferable skills that go beyond the mechanical expression. It becomes part of uh, the way that you think and the way that you feel in association with the thoughts and the narrative that you have uh, in relationship to whatever it is that you're doing. And this is where practice uh, becomes the true nature of of, uh, development. What things have you previously had to become aware of? And when it comes down to that mental, emotional state that have been disruptive to let's start with your physical training. I've always thought that um, discomfort um, was bad because it would bring up uh, negative emotions for me. And something that I've had to do is is translate that discomfort into um, producing meaningful results. As creative as I am or as, uh, as emotional I can be or as um, just uh, sensitive and, and, and willing to allow things to flow, I have a, I have a deep need for uh, producing results, for bre- being pragmatic, being practical. So uh, working with discomfort has been really uh, important to me uh, because it used to bring up negativity. A negative narrative. What did but that now? Like? Yeah. Yeah. What did Go that ahead. experience sound like? It sounds like you suck. Uh, why are you doing this? This is stupid. Who cares? Um, why would you put yourself through this? You could just be doing something else right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. It, it becomes a a, a, a never ending stream of self criticism and uh, judgment. Yeah, it's so useful for people to hear that because like most people would think that because they are at a kind of maybe at a different level from you, they would think that you'd be impervious to that and you would be able to separate <laughs> it. But it's it's knowing what to do with it that makes the difference. Mm-hmm. And your relationship to going towards it's really important as well. Like what what does your self-talk sound like now? Or what reminders do you set yourself when that because it's still going to come up you're not going to like banish it what 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 do you do with that now mm. well I, I let me share what's what's happening at the moment uh at the moment i've i i, I had a plan um going into the pandemic before the pandemic even broke out that plan was completely dismantled by the the status of the world and i put myself kind of on hold and i started thinking well Let's see how things unfold. Let me just go with the flow. And as the flow took me places, I I started to crystallize a new uh, idea, a new plan, a new vision. 
And as I've been going into this vision, it's requiring me to revisit parts of who I was and how I was, uh, especially 10 years ago, that I uh, don't admire. I, I, I didn't like. I um, was, was doing that un unconsciously. And, and this can be speaking in a certain way, um, uh, acting in a certain way in order to uh, promote my business uh, or um, engaging in uh, relationships that I didn't really care for. And now I'm having to revisit that. And as I'm revisiting those parts of who I was that got me to a place of success of producing results, now I'm having to uh, reframe, recreate the relationship with how I want to express myself in those areas because those areas are required for me to move towards my goal. And this is, this is creating a lot of dissonance. And this dissonance feels uh, negative. It feels heavy. It feels discouraging. But the more I allow myself to sit with those feelings, the more I'm able to see the truth. I'm able to see, wait a second, I was just trying to get a need met. And I didn't have uh, the tools. So I used the tools that I was modeling from the people that were around me. Now with the experience that I currently have, how could I create a new expression in order to help me get my needs met? And that, although I don't know what it is exactly, I have a sense of it. What does it feel like? Wow, it feels easy. Oh, it feels positive. It feels fluid. It feels exciting. It feels, um, it, it feels like it's uh, moving me in the direction that I want to go in. Let me lean into that. Where can I find that? And I say to myself, show me. Show me how to do it. And when I tell myself that, when I, when I, uh, when I, when I ask myself to show me how to do it, it's, it begins to happen. And this is when you become a little bit more or original. This is when you start to present yourself in a more authentic way. And this is something that when you start to experience it, I'm even getting goosebumps right now because uh, just by sharing it with you, I'm like, ah, oh, yeah, that's exactly what it feels like, where it's like, who cares? Who cares? As long as it feels good to you and you're doing it without causing harm, then who cares? Move in that direction and allow it to show you the feedback that you need to make the adjustments. And that's, that's where I'm currently living. That's beautiful and such a challenge for so many people because we feel like we need to put up this facade because to fit in creates safety, the delusion of safety, I would say. Um, the authenticity that you're bringing out there is incredible. Um, have you always been that authentic? I don't think so. I, I mean, I, I have, but I haven't dared to express it. Even just now, I was even, um, you know, you have these moments where uh, you're able to witness what you're saying and how you're saying it, where I have to uh, allow myself to let go in order to not control what is coming out, because otherwise um, I'm, I'm limiting that authenticity. And there is a part of me that's kind of like, well, what are people going to think if I speak like this? What are people going to feel if I speak like this? Is this uh, causing me harm? Is this going to uh, negatively uh, um, impact my life? 
And these are the the normal fears that I think that come with uh, opening yourself up to uh, that free, um, unlimited way of thinking and being. Yeah. yeah. The having an audacious, ambitious, exciting goal that challenges you. It is the opposite of fitting in. It's the opposite of conforming to what others expect of mm-hmm. But that is the path to self-realization, to expanding your capacity and finding, like breaking through your own limits. Um, it's a scary thing to do, though. It's a vulnerable thing to do. What's what's the res- does the resistance sound like to becoming vulnerable? Because I think that's gonna um, again show people that it's scary, yes, but okay to feel that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there's some basic needs that. I want to get met. Um, And there are times where being uh, yourself (laughs) may slow the the meeting of those needs down. And uh, and an example of this is is uh, let's let's say I'm I'm talking about a new concept and I, I decide to start sharing it on social media, for example. To allow yourself to share it in your way, knowing that it's going to take longer for people to relate to it, uh, rather than going down the gimmicky uh, three-step process <laughs> that uh, most of us uh, use as, as a strategy for sharing online. This organic versus um, methodical, practical, or gimmicky even um, approach that this 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 separation that exists. Th- this is the this is the uncoupling that that we have to kind of go through in order to to meet uh, what we're truly trying to communicate. And this may sound confusing to people, but it's it's as simple as simply say what is on your mind right now, even if it doesn't land, and then notice as you say it how it lands on you, and if you get some feedback, how it lands on others, and then make the adjustments without succumbing to uh, the language or the way that other people are using. When you can do that, then things start to happen. And this translates into our physical training. Uh, It translates into our relationships or anything that we do. But we have to do it at least in one area in order to be able to do it elsewhere. You're having to risk not only offense if you're speaking which is a scary thing to do and i I don't want to dive too far into the politics especially now yeah especially now um but you're risking failure and social rejection as well and not only for coaches but for athletes too that is the thing that's holding so many of us back is there a time when you've don't want to use the word succumb to this, but had that kind of fear of standing out become a problem for you? Yeah, I think there have been times where I've been scared to express myself fully because I was supposed to be uh, under somebody or uh, 
in full alignment with an organization or I'm supposed to do things uh, by the gymnastics code. For example, as I was doing gymnastics, uh, there's a code that tells you how to do things. If you do it by the code, then you're doing gymnastics well. If you don't do it by the code, then you're not doing gymnastics well. So being able to separate uh, from the, the current status quo of whatever your, your, your life situation is, uh, that, that has been something I've experienced uh, several times. And um, there's a part of me that regrets not taking that, that, that leap. Uh, but there's another part of me that knows that I had to experience it in order to become aware of it and now be able to let go and say, fuck it. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know if I can swear here, but that's uh, that's how it feels. Yeah, yeah. That's again. It's it's this that you have this very compassionate relationship with your former self and your past self, and that is such an important part for people to generate because most people, or a lot of people that we deal with, particularly, but like most people, I think that you encounter have this kind of loathing of who they were because it's not who they are now or they know now know better but it's that kind of oh, i was doing the best i possibly could at the time with all the information i had with my past experiences with whatever history created my genetics and evolution all that kind of stuff it created me at that moment and i was doing all i possibly could do right now um so to hear that compassion that you have for yourself back then is awesome it's really cool to hear so yeah hats off to you that's awesome because sometimes I'm pretty critical of that, that person. Um, cool. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, Oh, I can't believe you said that. Uh, but whatever <laughs> he's, he's dead. He's not, he's not around anymore, but yeah. I'm so glad he existed. He got you here. Yeah. And who yeah, knows wouldn't. what I'm saying now? Exactly. You wouldn't be where you are now without those moments. That's the paradox of it without going wrong. You wouldn't have these opportunities that you do now. Exactly. I think when I, when I was putting together this conversational kind of notes to this, I was like thinking about significant points in your life. And one of those points where I think you lent into authenticity was the, was the transition out of gymnastics world into where you are now and the steps in between to kind of set the scene for everyone and to kind of, I know you've spoken about this at length and we'll kind of, we'll go on the slightly different angle at it, I think. Um, can you just say where you were in that kind of build up to that move away? Um, and obviously as, as much or as little as you're, you're willing to share, don't need to say anything you don't want to say. Yeah. Let's see how we can summarize this in a way that, that makes sense. Um, gymnastics wad was amazing and I'm so glad I did it. And there's a part of me that wishes I had continued to do it, but I just didn't have the tools and the understanding and the ability to uh, carry it forward. I simply couldn't do it with who I was back then. And I knew that in order for me to transcend and, and get to the next level, I had to cut ties. And, and I, I was kind of like a teenager saying, screw it. I'm leaving the household. I know exactly what to do. <laughs> and then arriving outside and being like, oh, damn, this really sucks. This is much harder than what I was doing before. I just want to go home. Uh, but now I have to get this experience in order to come back. Um, so in, in, in other words, gymnastics wad was ripe for the time. It was it was 
giving people exactly what they wanted in a way that was um, good enough to push the limits of the current uh, status of, of CrossFit at the time. And, uh, and that may be transcending into other areas of fitness. But it was incomplete. It was incomplete because it was purely mechanical. And although I, I used words in my descriptions that brought up some uh, emotional and mental aspects of the development, it was uh, not enough to penetrate the, the audience. Thankfully, during my seminars, I was able to penetrate the audience with these ideas, with the, 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 the importance of mindset, the, the importance of emotional fitness in order to achieve the mechanical outcomes desired. And that's where the transition into freestyle uh, really happened. And uh, now being in a place where I am talking about uh, emotional fitness, uh, from the core and then building from, from there. What was that transition like? It was confusing. It was dark. It was very scary. It was, uh, very lonely. It was, uh, embarrassing. It was, um, It was also very uh, insightful. I, I learned a lot. It also brought a ton of responsibility because I had to take full ownership of my decisions and the actions and the results. It uh, brought a lot of clarity in terms of what I do want to do, even if it was only a few things. And it, um, we, have a tr we have a train passing by. <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> we had a plane going past earlier, so it's all good. There you go. Um, yeah, it brought a lot of clarity in terms of what I wanted to do. And being able to lean into what I wanted to do gave me just enough uh, footing to, to move forward. And th that's what it felt like, uh, a roller coaster. So part of that shift in the kind of external or the physical levels is a shift in letting go of identity and letting go of like this stable, predictable, if I act in line with X, then I become Y, then I get Y as a response. And letting go of that is scary. Did it feel like there was much on the line at the time? Yeah, everything. it felt like everything was, was on the line. Uh, but now looking back, what was on the line in my mind was my reputation. And I, and I, and I thought my reputation is everything, <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> which, which is funny now, uh, look, looking back, um, because what, what is everything to me is being 100% transparent, honest, truthful with myself in a way that allows me to, uh, see others and is open enough to allow others to see me and thus be able to connect. And in that process, be able to deploy my strengths, which are to uh, assist people in moving in the direction that they need and ultimately desire. What was the initial response to that? Like what, what was the immediate kind of next after the, actually take me to the decision. Like, was there a moment that you'd, do you remember making that decision? 
Yeah, I was I was sitting on a plane flying back from Las Vegas. Uh, I had just shot all the pictures for my book. And I was sitting next to my co-author. And I looked over at him and I said, um, Tony, I think I need to shut this down and separate from my old business partner. This is not who I want to be. This is not where I want to be. And um, it's a big risk but I think I just need to do it. And he said, whatever you do, I support you. And hearing him say that was enough to um, get me going. Then, of course, I didn't realize how much uh, had happened over the five years that I had been developing Gymnastics Wad and how many roots had grown and all the relationships that existed and uh, all the small steps that I took that I was unaware of I had to peel back all of that and rinse all of that out. And it took many years to, to do that. And it was, uh, it was a very painful process. And then uh, <laughs> I realized I could have done it completely different uh, years later. And I would have had the same outcome, but with less pain. But I'm glad I went through the, the painful process because I wouldn't have the awareness that I have now. What would have happened if you didn't change path? Well, I would probably um, be sitting on um, probably a, a little bit more money. I would have um, uh, a lot more emails coming in with people asking me to collaborate. Uh, I would have um, uh, less time available because I would be so busy uh, chasing the next thing. Um. And I would probably be absolutely miserable because I wouldn't, I wouldn't be uh, fully myself in every aspect of my life. Yeah. That's the value of authenticity, right? Yeah. It feels With, when you're not being authentic, it feels kind of icky. It feels, it like, feels terrible. Mm -hmm. I don't want anybody to see it. I've always said, imagine your life put on display for the world to see. If there's anything that when it's, when it's seen by others makes you feel a little uncomfortable, then you know that that's what you need to work on. Yeah, if 80% um... of, yeah, if 80 of my life was, was my work or is my work because I love working and I'm not being fully authentic, fully myself in that, that place, then 80, 90% of my life feels icky i don't want that yeah it's when we start to pursue what's expedient and like this is the quickest route to get me to where i like think i want to be or to achieve the outcome as opposed to um showing what is truly resonates with us and like and that requires again to bring back that awareness and why i, I wanted to, to invite you on as a guest and is just that is that settling that that observation of yourself that you maybe build up through a physical practice first, but then you can incorporate into journaling, meditation, any kind of process, just watching yourself in day-to-day -day life. And that concept is enough to bring about that balance, but that you're an exceptional example of it. I, I really mean that. You, you do, like from, from what I can see anyway, um, you're an exceptional example of it. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I, I really appreciate it. It's something that I I spend a lot of time in. 
and um maybe when 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 i go uh and my my life comes to an end in this form it carries uh in 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 some sort of way and this is where uh, there are two seeds that i believe are important to to plant and it's the awareness of subtlety and it's the awareness of uh increments and and subtlety being that just light sense of something different that something's there and the increment being the impact that that subtlety that subtle feeling uh, makes and when you can nurture that over time seeing the 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 effect the influence uh that it has um it's very meaningful to me yeah i can see that and i think one of the if i think this seems like a big left turn that it's is related i think the situation you're in now as a, as a parent and a grandparent must present a whole host of challenging experiences where awareness is um is the solution to actually i was thinking about a quote that you bought apart and uh, bought up in in freestyle and like the idea that the goal is to chase the best way not the most familiar way and I feel that it's it must be easy with it must be easy to become a reactionary parent and not a conscious one and a reactionary grandparent and not a conscious one. Mm-hmm. How are you approaching those challenging situations and what do you need to stay aware of? Mm. Well, as I dive into it, maybe this could segue. Um, somebody was was here the other day working on the house and. Um, uh, said, oh, congratulations, you became grandparents. And uh, she shared a quote with us, which was that you don't learn how to become a son or a daughter until you become a parent. You don't learn how to become a parent until become, you become a grandparent. And what she was basically saying is that you need the, the awareness of the experience in order to understand how to better be who you need to be in that role, to be conscious of what that role is. But when you're in it, it's inevitable to be reactionary, to be reflexive in the way that you do things. For example, when the baby is crying here, I immediately go into panic mode. Okay, we need to change the diaper, get you the, you know, like we need to get you the, the bottle. Uh, we need to entertain you. Um, and my wife is the opposite. She's like, just let him do the thing until we figure out what it is that he needs. And then we'll, we'll, we'll get him that. But there's a balance there. Uh, I think it's important to be reflexive, uh, but also be effective in, in being reflexive. Uh, and I think it's also good to be responsive, but to not allow your response to be so delayed that you miss the mark. Again, that awareness. Yeah, that, that awareness. And this is something that you're sometimes you succeed and sometimes you uh, completely fail. And it's, it's allowing it to, to exist that way. And when, when you do that, I think what ends up happening is that, uh, especially with a baby, a baby changes every single day. You're like, whoa, that's a new thing. So you're riding these very fast, uh, short waves. And, and being reactionary in that, in that case is valuable. 
Um, but as, as you learn the basic patterns, you start to see, oh, here are bigger waves and they come in different sets. And now I can see them coming, thus I'm aware. And I know, oh, uh, nap time is soon coming. I know that he's gonna start getting a little fussy. Let me start prepping for the bottle and prepping for the this and putting them down and then making sure that we don't have anything in the way. And then all of a sudden that transition becomes really smooth. And I think it comes down to learning to live in transition, whether it's an acute transition or it's a progressive one. What are the conscious decisions that you've made about parenting and grandparenting that maybe, maybe, yeah, you would have reinforced yourself if you, if you were a kid. Mm -hmm. Um, well, basically is the main one is that this individual is, is exactly that an individual. I am simply a supporter of the individual and this individual is influenced by my behavior, by how I feel and how I think, because what this individual is doing is modeling uh, and learning to self-regulate through our relationship. So I need to become even more mindful of how I am self-regulating, how I am thinking, how I am feeling, especially around the baby. And uh, the service <laughs> that I provide uh, for, uh, you know, in terms of my care, that, that is um, just a sliver of the pie because keeping uh, a baby alive is relatively simple and easy to do. But uh, uh, creating an environment that is conducive for, for, for growth, uh, going beyond resilience and... Um, and that also encourages individuality with a collective uh, uh, consciousness, meaning one that that is included in in the in the bigger picture. And that that is the the challenge. And I think that's what I'm I'm currently navigating. And then knowing that I'm the grandparent and um, the boy's uh, mother is the one that is technically uh, in charge when it comes to the bigger decisions. That's another thing to let go of. Oh, well, that's her choice. I wouldn't do it that way, but it's not my place. Letting go is a big one. That must be a tough one. Must Ooh. Be tough. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> that's one where I'm like, oh, goodness. Okay, if you want to learn to let go, just do it this way. This is great. Um, so now is a real, a real a non-sequitur uh, change. You spoke about visualizations as a kid, and I've heard you mention this a few times. Um, when did that start? That started very young. As, as, as far back as I can remember, I always had these visions of how I wanted to execute on something, how I wanted something to feel. In fact, I had I, this, uh, for whatever reason, this is coming up right now, but I had this uh, one vision that it wasn't even deliberate, but it was me... Uh, I was living in Spain as a kid. I was in grade school and me leaving the country, going to a different country. I, I think it was the U.S. potentially or somewhere in Asia and then being gone for uh, an extended period of time and then coming back. And the coming back was kind of this like hero's journey 
uh, you went out and you discovered something and you came back and you were this completely new uh, person. And I used to have that uh, thought uh, very often. And um, it's strange to think about right now because I haven't thought about it in a while. It's something that I, I, I think happens uh, all the time in our lives. We, we are something. We behave in a certain way. We uh, live in a, in, a, in a certain environment. We, uh, we have certain habits. And then we depart from them. And we go on this journey that when we go full circle and come back, there is this um, renewed sense of knowing. And that renewed sense of knowing is the inner knowing. And this inner knowing, our intuition being in line with uh, the reality that we live in, is what gives us that sense of um, not righteousness necessarily, but like, yes, this is, this is exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. And it's really powerful. An example of this in, in, in training uh, is if you follow a certain method and you've been following it religiously to say, this is not fully serving me right now. I'm going to depart away from it. I'm going to explore some other things and then I'm going to return. And when I return that person who I am in my old way of doing things is going to have a greater level of understanding. And that greater level of understanding is that which gives you the edge to break uh, through to new levels of, of performance and, uh, and achievement and, and, and results. Nice. That's really nice. What's your daily practice like of uh, anything that is mindset orientated, anything that puts you in the right place mentally? Mm. It changes a little bit, uh, but there's uh, always journaling. There's always meditation. There's some breath work associated to it. And uh, recently, I have been having a hard time accessing certain emotions. So I've had to um, aid myself with some music. And uh, I, I'm not a music guy, but I... Um, I play something that uh, can can give me access to certain emotions. And right now, one of the emotions that I am seeking to live in is the one of uh, joy and um, uh, not aggressiveness. <laughs> it's more like uh, vigor, vigor. Yeah. Uh, I, I uh, that you know, I want that. Come on. Which I I used to have but it softened so much because I had to process some other things. And now I, I want that back. I want that um, more aggressive side of me to come out, but to come out in a way that is um, expressed in drive uh, with deep compassion and awareness for um, the influence and um, uh, impact that it has on, on those around me. Yeah, that's a really tough balance and a nuanced balance to strike. The balance between assertiveness, like deliberacy, intentionality, and an element of aggression too. Aggression gets a bad rap today, but used effectively, it's it's a fantastic element of personality that we all have to like generate more of. And then fine tuning that with compassion, with softness. It's like the true image of a warrior. It's a very mm -hmm. difficult one to strike. Um, how? how do you find yourself um, again, generating awareness of that? Or is there anything you find yourself watching out for that means you're too far on one side of that balance? 
Well, I, I, I have a hard time being aggressive um, already as it is because I, I used to be pretty aggressive um, growing up, not, not in a violent way, but I was very, uh, you, you use the word really well, assertive, uh, but I was um, assertive, uh, but lacking compassion. I was unable to uh, see from, uh, from the, a place of uh, emotional well-being for others. And now that's, that's what I'm, I'm constantly aware of is when I pursue this inner sense of, mm, I, I, I can do this, I want to do this, I'm, I'm going to do this. How, how is this um, assertiveness uh, impacting others? And if it's causing no harm, then I move forward. If I'm unaware whether it's causing harm or not, I ask as best as I can. Hey, how, how, what comes up for you when I do this or act this way? And if uh, I get some feedback that uh, is important to me, then I, I change my, my approach to my assertiveness and, and directness. Yeah. Again, risking vulnerability, like mm -hmm. risking offense, risking doing something which stands out, risking failing, risking personal hurt and hurt of others. It's, it's all a, it's all a risk and stepping into the unknown. Um, and like in order to expand our experience of the known, we have to step into the unknown and like that's again like it's a dangerous thing to do that's where hurts that's where um mishaps happen and yeah it's a, it's a it's a scary thing to do when you get that perfectly right sorry you're about to say something now. no 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 yeah i'm i'm, I'm just i'm agreeing what you're saying is, is exactly right well, that's why I wanted just to hear you agree with me. I'm joking. Yeah. <laughs> just tell me you agree. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so when you get that balance right, when you're living on the edge between the known and the unknown, between chaos and order, um, you often find free nature flow, like your best sporting experiences. So when... What was your best sporting experience? Is there a moment you can recollect that is just like that was the epitome of of free nature and the expression of myself? Yeah, I think it was um, 1996 uh, Spanish championships uh, in gymnastics and having failed on every single event uh, and leading up to the final event and realizing that I had nothing to lose. So I went for the easiest uh, most simple, um, uh, routine I could possibly do. And I did it so well that I, uh, came in second and I got my first medal, uh, on the national stage. And, uh, the reason that was so impactful was when you can perform, express yourself, present as if you had nothing to lose and with no intention to cause harm, you will produce positive outcomes. And that is really powerful. And uh, this is something I have to remind myself of daily is whatever it is that I think I have to lose, it's probably not that. What did that performance feel like? Yeah, it, it felt effortless. It was so easy. It's something that I could do um, in the worst state of being. I could be angry. I could be tired. I could be uh, completely... Um, uh, 
unfocused and still be able to execute because it was just mechanically there. It was in, in, ingrained in, in me. It was it was like a, a simple warm up. Um, so it felt effortless. And when you can perform uh, in an effortless way and produce results that are ones that stand out, uh, you all of a sudden start to feel like, whoa, there's something really powerful here. Uh, how can I lean into that? Do you remember any thoughts going through your mind at that time? Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I remember just thinking, screw it. Who cares? Mm -hmm. I'm and guessing then, that was before, like when you're making a decision. Yeah, yeah, that's that's what it was. But then uh, d during, it was um, it was one of just, oh, all this takes is just doing. And doing it is actually not as bad or hard or uh, crazy as, as you thought it was before you did it. Mm. Yeah, it's quite often. Actually, if you were going to describe that state in one state, in one word, what word would you choose? The state of being able to just just do. You know what it feels like? It feels like um, emptiness, but not emptiness as the the emptiness of oh I, I don't have anything here, but but rather the emptiness that you. It's kind of like the from from Taoism. So if you if you read the Tao Te Ching, it's it's the Wu. It's it's the emptiness. It's um, the the space in the cup is the function. When you have a room and you carve out uh, a, an opening on the wall, you create the window that lets the light in. That's what it feels like. It feels like the space that is empty uh, that has function. And I guess the only word that I can find would be woo. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, it, again, another language to add to your repertoire. <laughs> yep. Uh, I, I, I don't speak Mandarin or Chinese, so it's, uh, yeah. You're I, making I, a good job. You got the important words. There you go. <laughs> I, got the, I got those. Yeah, that is kind of, it's this kind of emptiness, openness, freedom, space. And so many of us think that we've got to force ourselves into that position, but you found that through letting go. Mm -hmm. and surrendering as opposed mm -hmm. to construct again like it's, again it's that balance between assertiveness and, and freedom like that's that's that balance that you found at that moment and it's it's like i more and more people need to hear what that feels like because it's not forced it's not friction it's mm -hmm. openness mm -hmm. yeah openness I, I think that's that's the word woo is the emptiness that is actually open and the openness is what brings the functionality in. And something that you just reminded me of is the only reason I was able to fully make that decision at that moment was because my brother, who was watching me compete, ran down the bleachers, came down and said, Carl, whatever you do, stick it, stick the landing. And I thought to myself, damn, the vault that I'm going to do, I have stuck maybe once or twice in training. How am I going to stick it here? And that's when I told my coach, you know what? I'm not going to do that vault. I'm just going to do this other one. And he said, do whatever you want. You've had a shit competition. I said, okay, I'm just going to stick it then. So I went and I stuck the landing and, and there it was. Nice.
Nice. Yeah. So I anchored in, in what my brother had, had told me. Nice. That's really cool. What did the, what did the, the experience before that feel like up until that moment where you found that emptiness, openness, like what did the competition or the, the meat feel like? Absolute that? crap. Yeah. It felt, it felt like absolute crap. And it was also, um, difficult because my, my coach had told me months prior to that competition, uh, that this competition was going to be uh, a bad one for me because I had taken too much time off and I wasn't going to have time to prepare. So he had already planted the seed that I wasn't going to be ready. Useful. Mm-hmm. Very useful. <laughs> <laughs> Good coaching. <laughs> Great coaching. Of course, he didn't do it on purpose. He, he, was, he was being fully practical. But I, I realized that that planted a seed. It told me that you weren't going to be ready. So whatever was going to happen at that competition was going to be the product of uh, unpreparedness. And it was until that final meet. Do you, um, I know it's uh, a while ago, but do you remember what that, like that emotional state was like, what the thoughts were like? Do you, could you sum it up? But yeah, before those, that freedom. Yeah, I, I, let, let's, let's go all the way back to uh, the reason I decided to compete in this, in this uh, competition, which was because I had just watched the Olympics, 1996 Atlanta. The American girls had just won, uh, won the, the gold with uh, this dramatic uh, sticking of the landing uh, on vault by Carrie Strug. And I decided I'm going to go and train again, and I'm going to compete uh, this fall in the national championships. So I went back to the gym, started training, and that's when my coach said, you're not going to be ready. I went to the competition, and I expressed myself in a way that uh, was unprepared. And it felt like um, the world and its judgment on me was correct. And it felt like I was small and insignificant and my excitement and um, uh, joy for gymnastics was, was never going to be uh, fully validated or fulfilled through uh, competition. So I had to find it somewhere else until I got to the last event and I was able to switch it around by being more simple and working on that which I, I had practiced that deeply and I felt confident engaging with and that being enough to make a positive impact. What were you trying to achieve before you got to that state? I think I was just trying to achieve feeling what it's like to um, arrive at a place that is um, considered uh, uh, the, the highest state of uh, mm. performance or achievement, um, that which says with your actions, you have uh, stood out enough that you've shifted uh, something. You've, you've moved the needle. You've made history. Um, I didn't know why I wanted that, but that's, that's what I was uh, pursuing uh, at that time. It's almost like that element of externality in there, mm-hmm. the, the view of others. So that's, that's interesting. Consider what creates a bound nature experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. And, and, and funny enough, I, I was never, it wasn't, it wasn't the extrinsic 
motivation that was driving me. But in my vision, the extrinsic um, elements were heavily influencing my inner being, Hmm. my inner state. And that's something that I've had to shift around. How can I be the outside and the inside all at once and allow whatever extrinsic um, uh, factors to be a byproduct of who I am, who I truly am. Yeah. Which is that openness, that woo, that, that freedom, that space that we've spoken about. Exactly. And it's, it's so challenging. And this is a conversation that if, if people are listening and feeling like, yeah, I can relate, I, I hear it, but how do I do it? Well, then this is where practice comes in and you have to have an anchor and you have to have uh, uh, the space once again to, to dedicate to experiencing these feelings and to work with them and to realize that you can, you can change them, you can adapt them and that when you change them, when you adapt them, they come with new thinking and new thinking comes with a new vision and new vision comes with new action and new action comes with new results and new results come with new feedback and thus produces this um infinite uh, progression mm. lovely lovely really nice place to end i think i think that's that's awesome um where can people find a bit more about you and where can people find a bit more about freestyle and the insider and all that kind of stuff yeah, right now, uh, freestyleconnection.com uh, continues to remain the uh, main place to find me and then all other social media platforms. And maybe by the time this is coming out, I am starting to get a little bit more active uh, on my channels and, and, and sharing a little bit more. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's where, where you can find me for now. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time, Carl. Yeah, thank you. I'm Tom Foxley. Thank you for listening to the Limitless Athlete Podcast. As you just heard, if you want to follow Carl on Instagram, his handle is at Carl Pauli, P-A-O-L-I, or check out his website, freestyleconnection.com. Also, his book, Freestyle, is legit and I love it. Following this episode, we'll be releasing The Debrief, a summary of the wisdom within this conversation and the practical steps to applying it in order to enhance your own mindset. Make sure you subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts so you can start growing the mindset of a limitless athlete. If you're on iTunes, a five-star review and some kind words is super helpful in getting the word out. For further mindset training, resources, and tools, head to mindsetrx.com or find us on Instagram by searching for at mindsetrx. That's mindset R-X-D. Embrace hardship and training this week. And don't forget to tune in next week where I'll be speaking to an elite CrossFit athlete who has an amazing journey, a transformation that you won't quite believe.